0: Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. It does me great pleasure to provide a formal introduction of today's guest co-host, and I am going to read her bio, and then I will bring her on to be able to greet this audience in her own way. But today we are welcoming Dr. Teresa Horn. Dr. Teresa Horn is a federal leader and speaker on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. She's earned national and international awards based on her work impacting women and people of color in the federal government. Dr. Horn is a proud Army vet, a vegan food connoisseur, and a suspense author. Cannot wait to talk about all those different intersections that make up the wonderful Dr. Teresa Horn. But you know what to do, podcast community. Take to those emojis, go to the chat, place whatever kind of affirmations that you feel are appropriate as we welcome our guest co host today, Dr. Teresa Horn. And I'm going to stop sharing my screen and bring my friend on adding her to the spotlight. Welcome Teresa and Teresa and I are on first base names I just wanted to clarify that so I'm not disrespecting. <laughs> it's Dr. <laughs> Teresa Horn if you don't know her but yeah she is Teresa to me today and I am Nika to her today and I am so grateful that you are here with us so thank you and welcome now. The first question we always ask, Teresa, is for our guest co host to please share some additional information about themselves and specifically what we're looking for are those facts that we would not be able to find by just reading your bio or going to your LinkedIn profile. So
1: think deep. You want all the tea right up front. I want all, <laughs> all the tea right up front,
0: top of the hour. Yes, give, it, give us all of it, all of it.
1: Well, I will say, you know, because, you know, I, I see books all the time. And one of the things that I think I'm an anomaly in is that I write creative novels. I write fiction.
2: Mm-hmm. And so
1: see a lot of people in our industry that write industry books. And, yeah. and, you know, I think it wows people when they say, well, wait a minute, you know, yours aren't industry books. These are suspense novels. And so... <laughs> I think that is one of the shocking things I get all the time when I say, "Hey, go check out my books," and then people think that they're going to get an industry book, and it's not Eight. that. So, uh, just letting you guys know, when you check those links out, um, and and they should be flying here in the chat, to so that you can find my novels, you can uh, look at those on trhorn.com. That's my moniker that I write under. Um, that is another so amazing, yeah, yeah, <laughs> interesting fact. So some people do know that I'm a military veteran, an army veteran, uh, proud and true. Um, But there's also some things uh, in terms of like veganism and fitness that people don't uh, align with military people. Um, And so if if anyone has been in the military on on the call, then they know that there is no vegan options uh, in the military.
2: And so we
1: find our way. And so there's a lot of... Um, really cool things I do with my vegan lifestyle um, and just doing it more in a mentally healthy way. Um, less of the processed food, more of the things that make you glow. And so uh, that's an interesting tidbit. I know me and my my colleagues and friends, they always uh, joke with me about where can we eat because I always have all of these things that I don't eat and won't eat and so. <laughs> But I tell them we'll, we'll talk about it in 50 years when I'm hopefully looking like I'm still 40. <laughs>
0: Teresa, those are so such interesting tidbits. And thank you so much for sharing. And uh, we kind of bonded a little bit over our military experience. Um, I was sharing with you that my husband's part of military. And so um, there's 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 definitely, that's a dimension of diversity that sometimes a lot of people don't spend time thinking about this and that whole yeah. lifestyle and, and what comes with that. And so we're definitely going to unpack some of those in, in a bit. And I love the fact that you write um, suspense um, books. I think that, you know, there's a creative side to all of us yeah. and we need an outlet for it so even though we may be practitioners astute practitioners in our yes. space and in our industry we need that creativity and so you're kind of helping us to to, to find our way to that creative outlet for those of us who may not have uh, intentional ways of being able to create those opportunities for ourselves and so I do love um, that you've shared that and we will place into the chat our colleagues have all of that information about your suspense novels so we're going to place that into the chat for this community to uh, be able to take advantage of that.
1: And Nika, I will say too, that it is, it's a release for me to write oh. and not about what I do every day.
2: And yeah. so yeah. know, for me,
1: it's therapeutic and and I will get into a zone and be able to think about other worlds and, and other people and their
2: wow. uh,
1: in my book. So it, it's really a release for me. So I know some people ask, yeah. you know, how do you sort of self-care and get out of this work where you're not consistently emotionally tied to what's going on in society and then what you're doing at work. Um, and so that's one of those ways that I tell folks is, you know, you don't always have to tie everything to, to your job. You know, it's absolutely your own person. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And, and we need that because we know that our space, our work can be really heavy. And if we don't have those outlets, then it certainly can compromise our ability to, to really lean into that self-care, as you mentioned. And so um, all of my books have definitely been industry related. And so I, I need to, you're inspiring me. I need to figure out some ways that I allow my, my creativity to flow and give myself that outlet. I tend to find that travel was that for me. Yeah. Um, but even with my travel, sometimes it's like a a workcation, you know, where I very intentionally build in time to work as well as to um, to vacay. And that so, does not count, I know it doesn't count. It doesn't always count. You're so right, Teresa. You're right. I I I'm hearing you. I'm receiving it. I am. I am. Um, but I love that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely lean into uh, doing a bit more homework to find that creative outlet that is just strictly for that creativity, non work related. Okay. Mike, you, you all are my witness here. So I wanna jump <laughs> right in because this, this window of time always seems to fly by and there's so much that I want to talk about. Um, first and foremost, I think it's important for this um, audience to be able to understand your story, right? And so we know that you are an, a, an army vet and you have found your way into this space very specifically of diversity, equity, and inclusion and accessibility. What drew you to that specific industry and discipline and work?
1: yeah that's a great question um and i think it's multi-layered you know i don't think anyone goes into this this work because they went to school for it right we are just now getting to the place where we're having uh you know certificates that go out to people that learn this type of work so there is no um uh, true way to sort of get mm-hmm. into this and on and, and build on it and so my story really began um also in the military, I'll say that, you know, mm-hmm. I had my struggles being a female leader in the military, which, you know, dealing with uh, male counterparts that did not want to, to listen to me for a variety of reasons. I was young, I was black, and I was a woman. Mm-hmm. And to them, that meant that uh, I was not knowledgeable and that my competency was in question on most of the uh, orders that were given. So for me, that was my first sort of foray into um, understanding, you know, how I'm perceived in a work environment. And so Mm -hmm. then after that and and going into um, doing marketing uh, work. So I owned my own uh, agency early on in my life where I would do marketing and public relations for different firms and different organizations Mm -hmm. to sort of guide them in the direction of how to market to the black community. And in those discussions, I realized that, you know, they were sort of using my agency as a way to to make money, but not really work with the community that they were looking to um, to partner with, in a sense, Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't a partnership at all. It was more, how do I use your company to get our stuff in front of their eyes? But not how can we be enmeshed with this, community? How can we give Mm -hmm. back to the community? How can we be a part of whatever movement is happening? And so that was also one of those areas where I said, you know what, I need to look at this differently in terms of my company and Mm -hmm. what I want for money, right? And so I think those little tidbits along my journey and then getting into the federal government where there are very few female leaders at the top of these organizations, um, really made me see it as a challenge to say, you know what, let me do what I have to do to be that change maker and to be the top of that organization, uh, enforce that new sort of uh, look, right? I don't look like everyone around the boardroom when I go in there, Um, or that they see it. And the more that I press the envelope, the more comfortable and normal it becomes to everyone else.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, I I love that response. And so as you think about your experiences as as a woman of color, um, I'm sure there are others who are really interested in what did you find to be some really strong strategies that allowed you to prepare to be in some of those male-dominated spaces and to do so successfully? So what are maybe those top two or three um, behaviors or mindset shifts or whatever strategies that
1: you think would be important to socialize with this community? You know, I would say um, for me, what has worked is really understanding the art of negotiation and persuasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's going to be one of the key components that, especially women miss out on. In women of color, I think we are great at that naturally because we have to fight for everything that we, right. that we right. um, But I think it's important for us to, to lace that in with the system that we are going up against right? So Mm -hmm. understanding how to negotiate and persuade in particular um, settings, right? So we're great at at that in terms of getting things done for our business or things that we want to do, or this is what I found within myself, that running my own business, right? I could negotiate and persuade in a way that was beneficial to me. When I work in an organization, it's very different, right? Because now Mm -hmm. I'm doing it in, in, an aspect where it affects other people that look like me. So if I Mm -hmm. don't do something appropriately, it could affect someone else. And so for me, that was the biggest thing is to understand negotiation and persuasion is a key component of you getting to leadership. So look for that type of training, look for that type of development in yourself. um, And I think that will take you far uh, in knowing how to negotiate and in places where you're not looked at as competent, where you're not looked at as a, a value add um, and not taking that personally, but looking at it as a way to say, "Hmm, okay, that's, that's one of the factors that I need to overcome.
0: You know, negotiation and persuasion skills, absolutely. That is, that is really that is really um, important. And so along those same lines, when you find yourself as one of the, the only lonelies, right? We often hear language like that, especially for, for women of color and male-dominated spaces. We, we tend to brace ourselves for having to um, encounter adversity or discrimination, right? And so what did you do? When you face adversity and discrimination, how did you navigate that? Because I would imagine there's some people who are going to be listening to this either live right now or later, and they may say, well, how does she overcome that? She's making it sound so easy. How does she overcome that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I can tell you some things that have happened in my career along the course of my career that would would probably make you clutch your your pearls. Um, I've had people tell me I've been promoted because I look like a black Barbie, and they told me that to my face. Um, I've had, uh, people come and tell me, um, that, you know, the hair that I have on my head is not professional, Mm -hmm. right? If I want my natural hair, they would say, you should probably straighten it out before you go to that meeting. Wow. You know, and so these are the things you deal with constantly being a black woman moving up the chain, um, because these are behaviors that people exhibit all the time. Um, I've had a white male leader sexually harass me and give me a hotel key card at work and say, I can meet him there um, if I wanted a promotion. Mm. And so these are things that you deal with, um, but how you deal with them matters, right? And so we do constantly is we allow people to um, do things against us and Mm -hmm. we forgive. We're a very forgiving yeah. people, which is beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Lead with love. But in terms of utilizing the tools available to us, we don't typically do, right? And mm-hmm. so I, I went back and forth on whether I should, um, you know, put in an EEO complaint against that leader that gave me the hotel key card. I literally mm-hmm. said, my job's on the line here. If, if this does not end well for me, my job's on the line. And no one will believe me over this, this white male, Mm. right? So, and he stayed after I complained and I ended up leaving. Um, I've had, you know, a white female leader um, tell me that I'm, you know, going to be written up because I didn't stay late to help another uh, white employee. Instead of saying, I finished my job and I went home at the right time, they said, you're not a team player. So I have to write you up for not being a team player, which was basically saying, do more work for the effort. And this person is not getting written up for not doing their work in the time allotted, but I'm going to write you up. And so there's all, always these subtle things that happen along your career, but you have to remember to fight back and not give up. If I had given up and said, Hey, I'm not going to, to do this anymore. I wouldn't be where I am today to help so many other people on their journey, getting up here, but there are yeah. going to be some ones that you have to overcome.
0: Yeah, so um, the the adversity is 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 not always in vain because hopefully we're growing, we're learning, we're getting stronger, and we're able to be a part of um, platforms where we can talk about how we overcame and inspire others to do the same, which is what you're doing today. So what you were describing, it I can it comes to mind. I think it's kind of referred to as performance penalty when people are able to kind of get their work done to where then the expectation is, well, okay, you've been efficient, you've been effective. Now we need you to also support and do extra work on this other end with all these other colleagues. And um, yeah, full stop, we need to make sure that we're not penalizing those who are um, high performers within the workplace. And so as you were talking, what came to mind was the need for not only having strategies, right, that you can pull out of your toolbox as you're navigating these complex workplace, you know, issues. Um, But it it also reminds me of the importance of of having the, the mental capacity and the emotional capacity to also endure while you are navigating. And I think yeah. back to in the beginning when you talked about um, how you are a, a vegan food connoisseur and that's mm-hmm. part of, I would imagine, what helps keep you centered is, you know, focusing on your health and even your creative outlets. And mm-hmm. so what would you say, um, you know, to just further amplify the importance of, especially women of color, knowing that we are facing a lot of adversities, what should we be doing to make sure that mentally and emotionally we are we are at our best Um, as we're navigating
1: those challenges you know I think we we should all have our own self-care routine and and keep that front and center Um, Mm -hmm. but I do want to um, remind women that they need a a group right you need Mm -hmm. your own group that you can call and say I just need to vent you know I just need to talk about what happened to me at work today Uh, or hey I need some advice you know and so Mm -hmm. it's important to have your own tight-knit group of individuals that understand what you're going through um, and are there to to help you through those moments. Um, Because Mm -hmm. we talk about self-care so much, but, you know, when you sit by yourself and you've had something happen to you at work that has been discriminatory, it's like getting a stone thrown at you. And then if you Mm -hmm. go to that job, you're getting four and five and six stones thrown at you you know, at some point you're so beat down that you cannot repair yourself. You and know. so that's mm-hmm. in those reinforcements to help repair you to go yeah. in and say, no, we got this or We're, this is what you do next. And so while self-care is important, I just try to really tell people to have your support group there for you because it is not an easy task. It is not an easy road. Um, and if it is, please pave the way for others behind you. Right? No. Yeah. It's important is to start preparing and providing that safety net for the next generation of Black women or women who are looking to be in executive roles.
0: 100 percent lift as we climb we are not meant to operate in isolation we need that community we need that support system i am i am fortunate that i do have that support system in fact this weekend i'm headed to georgia which i know is where you are right now um to to visit with members of my 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 tribe my sister girl kind of mastermind group as we are supporting each other so i'm I'm really grateful for that opportunity so i want to shift a little bit and i want to talk about what's um what's occurring right now in this this DEI space, particularly as it relates to the reduction of roles that are are impacting, negatively impacting, disproportionately um, Black DEI professionals. We know that layoffs are occurring across many different industries and sectors right now, particularly in the tech space, right? As people are bracing themselves for the economic headwinds, right? But then, What we're also starting to see, which is not surprising, because there was a trend of this before, is that one of the first roles or disciplines that's on the chopping block are the DEI roles. And so many Mm -hmm. chief diversity officers, many leaders of of the DEI work are um, being transitioned out, right? They're being laid off. And... um, there's an article that went viral. I asked my team to actually place it into the chat, but um, NBC News reported on it. And I had a chance to, to have voice around what's occurring and it went viral. I mean, it's been picked up so much now. And so it's lots of discussions around what does this mean for um, you know Black professionals that are in this space and for the work in general, knowing that mm-hmm. a large percentage of those who are in the DEI space are Black and they are getting um, laid off. And it, that population also already represents a small percentage of the whole. For example, I believe it's 76 percent of professionals that are DEI professionals right now are non-black, and so if yep. the black professionals are getting laid off. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does that say about the state that we're in? And what can we do about that?
1: Yeah, I think it. It, it to me, and this is something that I think all DNI professionals, when we saw all the rollout of the positions, we were all talking in the background saying oh, this is gonna be interesting in two to three years. And yes. so here we are where we knew we would be, uh, which is that it was performative, right? This was all performative to say, I'm bringing in a new black leader that I can tout on social media and in all of our uh, websites and things like that, that we're, we're changing, we're doing these things. Um, when in actuality, they get those individuals in and they realize that those individuals are coming to create change at yes. their organization. And so it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be yeah. difficult. They are going to shift your way of thinking um, and shift your culture if you allow them to. And so I think they don't see diversity and inclusion leaders as uh, change makers. Right. Yeah. They see them as uh, sort of the prop that they can sit up and say, we're doing something good now because we have a person. Um, and then if you have a person of color, it's even better because now you finally have that one person on your senior leadership staff that is a person of color. Um, and so I think that article laid bare, Um which great work on that, that article laid bare exactly um, what was happening and we're seeing happening in the background. And so because these companies are very forward to say this is who we're hiring, they are not as forward saying, these are the positions we're doing away with. And so um, right now, I think is the time for individuals, if you are a part of an employee resource group, okay? I'm gonna tell you the antidote to this issue. Uh, if you are part of an employee resource group or you are a part of an advocacy group or organization that does work with any of these companies, you have a voice. So ask about what's going on with your diversity and inclusion in your leadership, right? Ask about are they investing in or taking away from that budget? These are things that you can do as an individual or as a group of individuals outside of that diversity and inclusion leader and outside of the diversity and inclusion office. And so it is all of our responsibility to make the spaces that we work in safe, healthy, fair, and equitable. It is not just the job of a diversity inclusion leader or their staff. So I say this kindly to those on the call, even if you are not in diversity and inclusion at all, you have a voice in what happens to this. You have a voice in what happens at your organization. And if you don't band together with those groups that do have a little bit of influence and power.
0: Yeah, I I just added um, the the clapping hands emoji because yes, I agree with all of that. Um, This work belongs to all of us. And I feel like this is an attack on not just black DEI professionals or DEI professionals in general, but it's an attack on the entire body of work. And so anyone that cares about humanity, that cares about all of the constructs that allows us to center humanity should have voice around this, right? We all have that that level of influence, not maybe necessarily by authority and positionality, but just by influence of planting a seed with someone else and then letting that person plant a seed with someone else. We cannot sit idle around this conversation that is growing in speed, we need to um, change that narrative and help people to realize that it would be a hu- significant mistake to allow us to undo the work that has already occurred and still has a long ways to go before really it has matured to a place where it's optimized. And so we can't give up hope. And so I, I do also want to make sure that we are Leaning into, um, as as you know, Teresa, you shared before, our communities of support, especially if you are a DEI practitioner. I have had many to reach out to me to say, "Hey, I'm nervous right now. Should I be looking for a new industry, a new job, and you know, a new career?" And mm-hmm. um, and it's very disheartening. And so, I definitely wanted to bring this.
1: this yeah, you know, seeing this in Florida where they are yes. taking things out of the and Texas. Uh, yep, <laughs> and so you know, it is. scary time. It is a scary time um, in terms of equity. And so anytime you can um, combat equity and they try to tie it to only race. And so I think that is another uh, thing that we can go down that rabbit hole into how, you know, anti-Blackness is at the core of a lot of this. But um, I think it's important to note that you know, it's rooted in equity for all. It's not Absolutely. just for any particular race. It's for people with disabilities. It's for yes. women, for uh, mothers, fathers, you know, all of this work that we're doing is not solely based in race. Uh, although anti-Blackness, mm-hmm. I think, at the core of why we're fighting as hard as we have to.
0: Of course. You know, you hit the nail on the head. That is precisely the reason why. And um, and so I'm one of those that I believe in the both and. I don't want to dilute the message of anti-Blackness has to go, but I also right. want to make sure that we are being creative and innovative and strategic in our messaging and our approach, because we need all ingenuity around how do we solve for these big complex issues that are gaining, gaining a lot of speed, you know? And mm-hmm. so- it's definitely concerning to me. And um, I, I'm kind of glad in a way that it, it went viral because I believe that now it's creating greater attention to it for those who do care about it to be able to give voice to it. So um, yeah, we'll, we, will, we will continue to watch that and see how it's going to impact us in the future. So I wanna talk a little bit about your time in Japan, right? Yeah. Um, so tell us more about your experience during cultural work in Japan as a black woman. And tell us how that came to be. Yes.
1: Well, I will tell you first off that it was probably one of the best places I've ever worked, even though we had some. Um, And the reason why is because one, um, you know, I'll, I'll tell you just a short story. So I accepted this role having never gone to Japan before, not even to visit. And so I didn't know what I was walking into. So I took a lot of time to just, uh, first acclimate myself with the culture so that I was doing things, you know, right and in step and being as respectful as possible, because I do know that there are some things do in America that are not acceptable right. and respectful um, in other countries. Um, so, you know, me coming over there, never having been there before, don't speak the language. Um, it took for me to just listen, observe, Um, for a few months of what was going on. And so my task going there was to really look at our culture. We had, uh, for that particular region um, in the Asian Pacific, we had very low culture scores and they were like, what is going on here? Why do people want to leave? They're not happy, you know? And so I was going out to figure out what that issue was, not knowing what I was walking into. And so I was walking into a situation and I'll tell you when I noticed it. I was sitting in a meeting that had Japanese nationals, it had military personnel who also worked there, and then it had civilian federal employees, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're all sitting in this meeting talking about a new change that was coming down the pipeline. And I saw the military uh, leader say, well, why can't we just make this decision and move on? Like, we know what we have to do, let's go. And then the federal person was like, wait a minute, we haven't talked fully about it with everyone. We need to make sure we have harmony. And then you have the Japanese national leader sitting there saying, well, we can't make a decision today. I need to go back and and talk to to the people who this will affect and get their insights. And so it was three different cultures warring on a simple decision. Now, can you imagine larger decisions that impact this entire workforce? And so the work there really was me trying to gel all of these different cultures together. It was sort of groundbreaking work. We had a lot of um, uh, awards that were given because of the work that that we had done there, that I led mm. there. Um, and to me, it was the most um, fulfilling experience mm. of my career because I was able to take three different cultures, marry them together, and when nice. we took... the before I I left to come back to DC, um, we were at the top of the scales to the point where the survey provider wanted me to come in and talk to other organizations who were taking the survey about how did we make this change in a year or two? How did we completely shift culture in a year or two? And so what that shows people is that culture does not take a long time. It It takes action to want to change, The leader that was there, the commander that was there was uh, open to change. And so Mm -hmm. we create an entire environment that was uh, completely different from when I stepped foot uh, on Japan, on Japan soil, Japanese soil. Mm
2: -hmm. And so
1: that to me is the most fulfilling is when you have a leader that's open to to doing this work, um, you make big strides and it does not take a long time. So if you're at an organization where they keep telling you, oh, it's hard, it takes five years, 10 years to change culture, that's not true. It takes five and 10 years to change their mindset to want to make Mm -hmm. culture the top priority. So that's what they're telling you when they tell you that.
0: Yeah. I appreciate you saying that because... yeah, we do hear there a lot, you know, it's like, we need to slow walk this, we need to slow walk this. So sometimes, you know, there's tension <laughs> points between those who are ready to dig right in and let's get some stuff, you know, let's check some stuff up and get it done versus those mm. who are like, well, we're not quite ready yet. We need to slow walk this, we move at a slow pace here. You know, have to you have to think about what's not being said. What really are they, are they trying to avoid? And so um, I, I, I love you bringing that to the conversation. You know, we were talking a a little bit ago and and I was reminded of just recently, I posted on social media, something along the lines of what a mentor shared with me a long time ago, which was when you go into this space, this work of DEIB and even accessibility, Mm -hmm. I know that's a big part of your work as well. When you go into this line of work, um, you at some point in time or another will find that you have ruffled some feathers and stretched people and you can't be afraid (laughs) of that. And if you haven't <laughs> ruffled some feathers and stretched people, That's then you're probably your not doing your job. job. <laughs> that that, that yeah, always I, remained with me. And so, you know, yeah. every so often when I have trolls on some of my posts or, or even like with this, this book, you know, release, I, I take that in stride and I know that, okay, if I'm getting attention from the naysayers... It is because I probably ruffled a feather in a way to where now they are they are provoked, um, but at least they're thinking about it. They're forced to at least have to encounter um, the the right side of of this yeah. equation versus just you know believing everything that um, they have dug their heels in to believe, which is a lot of times anti blackness and you know just again wanting to. Um, um, you know, live in this space where they're truly believing in, in a dominant population by any means necessary, right? And so um, mm-hmm. I, I love that you are giving us permission to not let people stay at that mindset and that place of, yeah, this is going to take five or 10 years. So really, what they're doing is just stalling and buying themselves
1: more time because that's, they aren't, that's they aren't. What confident. You're doing. Yeah. That's what you're doing. <laughs> and it's, yeah. you know, and it, it's interesting to me because there are a lot of people who are interested in getting into this work now. Right. Because you're passionate about something that happened to them. And what I tell new people who are interested in getting into this work, I say, you know, why do you want to get into this? And typically it's a story about something that occurred with them that they want to make sure doesn't happen to someone else, which is great. Right. But I also tell them, I said, you do recognize that you're going to have to put your own beliefs, your own biases on the sidelines. Right. And so it's not just based off of what happened to you. You can't just be the women's advocate. You have to be the LGBTQ plus advocate. You have to be the disability advocate. You have to be a minority advocate. Right. And so for for you to get into this work, there has to be an understanding that this is not a passion project. Right. This is not something that you can. It's me. So I want to make sure it doesn't happen to someone else. You know, I am not a part of the LGBTQ plus community, but that is a community that I love and will stand for at any Mm. point. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You you have to understand that that is a piece of the work. There is no way to parse out what you like and don't like and what you will and won't fight for. And so be mindful of that. Um, Mm. I give that to new people and mentor new people in this field. um, And I tell them that as well.
0: Yeah. No, I appreciate that too. Um, And that's important. I remember when I first got into this space, this is when I was actually doing this for an organization and not necessarily, you know, under my own, my own business. Um, But they saw that I was a black woman and I cannot Mm -hmm. tell you how many, Black individuals would approach me for coffee meetings and chats. And it was all about, I am so glad you are here to push the black agenda. And I was always like, Yes, I am, I am always gonna push the black agenda. And yes. <laughs> there are other communities as well that are being discriminated against. And so you know, I yeah. mean, I think that naturally because of our own personal intersecting identities, we we tend to lean in more to those groups because we could, we have those lived experiences as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. A lot of times yeah. people have noticed and they'll ask, seems like you have a lot of Black women that are on your podcast. Yes, I do. And uh-huh. I have a lot of other people as well. But yes, and here's why. And that's unapologetic, right? But you're so right. We have to make sure that as practitioners in this space, that we are... Understanding the plight of of all of those marginalized communities, and really bringing forth the value of that humanity centered approach, right? I think that is right. critical. So yeah. I yeah, I, I'm so grateful that you brought that to the conversation. Okay, so usually by now I've already turned it over. So I'm watching the time for those of you who are familiar <laughs> with this community. You're probably saying, "Well, wait a minute, when are you going to open it up? We want to get in the conversation <laughs> too." So. Um, Here is your warning. I will go in and ask one more question before I actually turn that over just to give you time to percolate on what kind of contributions you want to make to this discussion. But um, the way in which you can let me know that you're willing to be a part of our discussion today is you can either um, use the raised hand feature and that will alert me, and I will make sure that I call on you. I'll add you to the spotlight. You can unmute yourself and share your thoughts or your questions. Or if you just decide, I want my question presented, but I want to place it in the chat and have my question presented for me, I'm happy to do that as well. So be thinking about those questions, and I'll give you a little bit of time with this next question that I will present to you, uh, Dr. Horn. So we're in Women's History Month. You have a lot of speaking engagements, I understand, that are coming up for Women's History Month. I wanna know what are some of those top subjects and content areas that you have a lot of energy and power around that's probably gonna find its way into the many talks and conversations you're going to be invited into. And then we also wanna make sure that we share those opportunities, particularly for those that may be open to the public, for those in this broader community who may also wanna take advantage of that. So my team will place that into the chat, but yeah, tell us what you have coming up and what are some of those tidbits that you plan
1: to share? Wow! So you you're getting all the tea. You want me to talk about what I'm going to talk about before I talk about it?
0: <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, I will tell you. So, uh, Women's History Month and Black History Month are, are two of my busiest months. Um, and so, upcoming, I have Inspired DC is coming up next. That's going to be on March 16th at American University there in DC. Um, this will be a TED Talk style where I will be Talking about my journey um, to women leaders, to, to being a woman and a leader, um, and what that looked like for me. Uh, nice. You heard a little bit about that today. You've heard some of the challenges and things I've gone through, um, which I think shock people because a lot of times we don't talk about it. You know, we go wow. through these things, have these microaggressions and discriminations, and we don't talk about it. And so, you know, I want to amplify the fact that we are going through these things um, and we're still being successful and still being loving and still being um, empathetic to others, even though we've gone through the trenches. Um, Another speaking engagement I have coming up is with our Mississippi Magazine. And so this is a Women's Empowerment Summit that will be happening on March 24th. Uh, And so I will be... Hopefully, talking about uh, how I can empower women to be better leaders, and mm. so you also heard a little bit about that today. So I won't give too many spoiler alerts. Um, <laughs> that will be held in Tupelo, Mississippi. Um, so all of my Mississippi State alumni, I hope to see see you there. Um, Old Miss, you can come if you want to, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, But yes, I love my bulldogs. And so then also, I just want to do a a very quick shout out here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Daryl Perry is also on the line right now. He has um, professionally Black. And we just did uh, a vodcast with a group of Black professionals that was so um, therapeutic for me. It's called Mm -hmm. Thriving Wild. So please, if you have the opportunity to go back and check that out and just make sure you follow that show, there's a lot of information that gets shared, um, a lot of therapeutic sharing and fellowship that happened uh, on those shows. So um, I just wanted to do a quick plug for that. And then also in April, there's a corporate wellness uh, executive summit that I will be going to, to talk about wellness in our community, because we know that mental health, psychological safety, how we provide self-care for ourselves and, and how we care for others is going to be a top uh, you know, thing that I would like to bring home at that particular engagement. Outside of that, I have government uh, speaking uh, engagements that are closed to the public, but uh, that I really look forward to touching base with a lot of federal uh, employees to make sure that they are supported as well.
0: Love that. Lots, lots of opportunities coming up for you. And we're so glad that you have um, those platforms to be able to extend um, the insight and the wisdom that that you offer to so many different um, communities. And so I do see a question in the chat from Lisa White. So I'm going to present that on her behalf. Lisa says, I think the challenge is that the anti-DEI sentiment is being politicized. And I think it normalizes and amplifies the animosity that DEI professionals may face. How do you navigate those challenges? And so this is going back to that viral article that we talked about in the big discussion. So what would you say to that,
1: Teresa? How would you navigate those challenges? There's a lot of kickback. Um, right now because of politics. I I hate to tell you that. And and for those who are federal employees, I don't know if you recall in the last administration, this was a big deal where anything, diversity, equity, and inclusion that said that there was white supremacy had to be stricken. Um, And so the fact that you can't talk about white supremacy and you can't talk about behaviors in in a true and factual way, we are back there again, unfortunately, um, as we head into an election season. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it does, does affect us, um, especially on the federal side, because that is highly regulated. You get a little bit of freedom in the private industry um, where you know, if your CEO is someone who understands that this is important regardless of what's happening in the news, um, then you're in a safe space. Um, but As Lisa said, this is politicized and therefore we do have these hurdles that we have to jump over, things that we can't talk about. You know, CRT Mm -hmm. is one of those that (laughs) we have to stay away from um, white supremacy or uh, any idea that there is a difference between minority and majority treatment have to be regulated. And so Mm -hmm. it does challenge me. It challenges how I'm able to help others it's challenging me in a way where um, I have to find creative ways to get information to individuals um, to help them see it on their own versus me showing it to them, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting for me, Teresa. I have not yet subscribed to the idea of, I'm trying to be careful with my words, but I'm just going to say it, diluting <laughs>
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: the, um, the integrity of the message, right? I have not yet brought myself to that place. And quite honestly, I don't know if I will. I haven't really mm-hmm. fully contemplated it. I' just I'm just hoping that those issues are going to work themselves out and they're going to go away. But I do feel for you know practitioners who are directly in those states and those g- geographies where they're having to navigate that day in and day out. And yep. with the work that you do from a federal government perspective, obviously that falls directly within the consideration set of how in which you show up to these conversations. Yep. And so yep. I feel for you, I do. And I feel for the others that are having to um, to walk on eggshells in many
1: ways, yeah. you know? For sure right now, I my heart goes out to anyone who is in the education field. Um, because I know that they understand what is right and they understand what will help our children and they're not able to do so. And Mm. and alone knowing that and having to, to, you know, still push forward with that knowledge is very tough. Um, And so I just wanted to give a shout out to educators that we see you, we understand what you're going through um, and there's a support system for you.
0: Yeah, we see you, absolutely, absolutely. And so as you were sharing some of your upcoming opportunities, you did give a shout out to Daryl Perry and is a part of our community today. And so he has shared into the chat, just want to draw attention to it, the hashtag. Um, I don't know if Daryl, you want to say a bit more. I want to give you this opportunity. If so, it it intrigued me. And so I'm sure there's probably some folks in this community who are also intrigued. If so, feel free to unmute yourself and I would love to spotlight you.
2: Uh Uh-oh, got put in the spot. (laughs) Can you hear me okay? (laughs)
0: We can hear you, Daryl, yes. Feel free feel free to share and say a bit more if you'd like.
2: Sorry the bow ties went on right now. I'm in the trenches doing some work right now. But um, <laughs> Daryl Perry here. Yeah, Professionally Black is a series I made probably three, four years ago. I was interviewing TR Campbell. He's a leadership coach in Washington, D.C. And um, I Trump was still in office at the time. So I asked him, hey, how do you feel about leadership at the White House as a leadership coach? And um, he paused for about a minute. To think about it. <laughs> and then he answered eloquently. And then after the show was over, I said, why did you pause? Are you trying not to be the angry black man? And He said, Yeah, you know how is. I've dread last from Jamaica, and they're gonna say it's racial because I said something about Trump. And um, from that point, I was already thinking about this idea, but I made the show as a way to have us have a safe space and LinkedIn to yeah. share as black professionals. This is what I go through. This is how we can make it better. So it's not really event session. It's more so how we make it better. And how do we improve yes. things? I know Michael's been uh, watching that for a long time. I see a few other folks in the chat that also watch it. So um, great that Teresa shouted it out. I love that she helped the show and she's been a friend ever since. And it's just a way to just give back. I don't work in DEI, so I don't want anybody to ask me DEI (laughs) questions. (laughs) I I am an end user consumer. I'm not a practitioner, but I'm an end user consumer. And by way of that, I say, since I have an audience on LinkedIn, I'm going to use it for this. So it's just me trying to share my piece.
1: No, I love
0: that. I love that. You're doing your part. Then that's, again, it belongs to all of us. You're doing your part. Go ahead, Teresa.
1: That was exactly what I was going to say, is that this is a prime example of someone who um, had saw a gap and filled that gap because they cared. And so when we're talking to people about you have the power, you have the influence to do it in your own way, um, to move the needle, this is a prime example of that. And it is very successful, it's very therapeutic, it's a safe space, Um, and so it is necessary. Awesome. Well, thank you
2: thanks for letting
0: me picture. put you on the spot daryl i'm glad this community got to hear a little bit more about that from you and i see that you have shared in the chat the hashtag that's leverage and you mentioned michael so michael is a, a friend of our podcast and he's he's one of those that continues to show up week after week and so that's actually how um Teresa, you and i connected and so anyway i uh, wanted to give a shout out to michael as well see he's doing his part right yeah he definitely
2: <laughs> i got some jokes in there and Black LinkedIn, but yeah, Dr. Nika, we got to talk. We'll catch up.
0: Okay, fantastic. I would love that. Thanks for joining. Okay, so we're getting to the top of the hour. One of the things that I often like to do, Teresa, is give our guest co-hosts an opportunity to, as you think about all that we have talked about, now I want you to shift and think about what have we not yet touched on that you have yeah. a lot of, you know, energy around and passion for and that you want to socialize with this community. What are some of those things?
1: Well, I think, you know, one of them, I, we touched on it a little bit, and I want to get your, I, I get to put on my host seat and ask you a question. Sure. Um, and so I know that there has been a McKinsey study around women in the workplace. And mm-hmm. it showed that in around 2019, we had probably the most women in the workplace at that time, right? So this is pre-COVID. But now we're looking at data that says 41% of women want to be executives, Right. Which means that they're actively trying to be executives. But then there's only about five percent women of color that are in those roles and maybe 21 percent of white women uh, that are in those roles. So, you know, how do we go about sort of helping women of color um, bridge that gap where you know yeah. there's a high potential for us to move into those roles?
0: Yeah, I, I love this question. Um, You know, I think there are a number of things that come up for me immediately, one of which is, and I share this with organizational leaders often, I think we have to get comfortable with um, the notion of developing very specific initiatives and programs that are targeted to very specific groups, that's not to say that other groups may not have their own challenges. They may not, you know need their own type of consideration for a special pathway of support. But when it comes to women of color, specifically black women, I think that it's okay for us to create these very strategic plans and initiatives. I have a client, and I won't share their name because I don't know if this is a program that's kind of widely, you know, communicated, but they developed a program that we we helped them develop a program that's very specific for their top tier Black women executives, Right. And it was data driven that allowed them to say, there's a huge disparity gap between the experience of these women in our organizations versus all over leaders, you know, that are not Black women. So what can we do? And through this program, there were a lot of initiatives and ideas that surfaced just simply by being focused on that group. Sometimes we like to solve for having a one-size-fits-all approach. And that's not always the best way. And yeah. so I, I think that that's part of it. I also believe that where organizations can implement either through informal or formal, informal is usually a bit more structured, which means it allows for greater accountability around the sponsorships, right? Helping those women, which is different from the mentorships. Mentorships are important, but that yeah. is you know kind of standing in solidarity with someone helping to support them be a resource. but sponsorship, they are judged and evaluated off of their ability. Mm-hmm to help the individual in which they are assigned to, to have that upward mobility, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's just a different outcome when you are charged with this is your responsibility, your success looks like this Black woman having success, right? And so I think that we have to get a bit more intentional about creating those opportunities and holding people accountable for those types of results. And Mm -hmm. I also believe, Teresa, that part of the challenge has to do with, the you referenced this, the, the whole pandemic, I think that when women, particularly women of color, were able to then be a part of spaces that were more comfortable for them outside of the physical work environment, it it created an opportunity where they felt safe, but then it also created a potential problem of the visibility lacking a little bit from having the access to those in positions of power and influence to help, you know, tap them for specially assigned um, projects or to put them in consideration set for sharing some context around, you know, big decisions that could help, you know, you know, put them in a position of knowing some intel that would make their um, trajectory even more um, plausible. And so there's, yeah, we can unpack this for a whole nother hour, but there's a lot to be said for just, you know, again, thinking about being intentional and being okay with, we need a very special program for this group without all of the chatter of, well, what about this group? What about this group? What about that group? Right? Right.
1: Mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. all
0: lives matter, it, they do, but the all lives matter to me, oftentimes it's just a crutch for people to not pay attention to where the greatest need may exist. Exactly. Right?
1: Exactly. So
0: anyway. Mm-hmm.
1: No, I think you you hit the nail on the head 100%. I know we're down to, to our last time here, but um, you are spot on with that. And, and yeah. we can go down the, the hybrid remote role and how that affects people of color uh, in the future, but I think you, you had a segue perfectly into that. (laughs) Yes,
0: yes, yes. Well, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you for saying yes to our invitation. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, your knowledge, you know, with this community. And we certainly have to invite you back because I feel like we probably could have gone on for another hour or so. Uh, Michael, thank you for the connection point. I do appreciate you, my friend. And uh, wishing each of you a healthy and safe weekend. And uh, we'll hopefully see you back here next Friday, same time for another Intentional Conversations podcast. Thank you all.
1: Thanks, everyone.